Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on this edition of Escaping Rock Bottom. I'm down here in Orange County, Huntington Beach. And uh, for those of you who are watching, I have a very special guest for you today. Her name is Jerry. She has over two and a half years sober, so it's, I, I can't wait to listen to her story and how she's doing in recovery. If you're listening on Google Play, iTunes, or even Spotify, thanks for joining the podcast today, Escaping Rock Bottom. I'm your host, Brandon Lee. Um, I'm going to bring Jerry in now. Uh, thanks for agreeing to do the podcast. You're welcome. I'm very grateful to be here. Okay, so take me, um, you know, take me all the way back to where you first started using. What was your drug of choice? Were you a drugger? Were you a boozer? Were you just kind of everything? Um, the first time I drank to get drunk, I was seven years old. That was with uh, older brothers, older friends, uh, family, really close family friends. From there, I didn't drink too, too much. I know it felt really good, but being as young as I was, it was not super easy, and I knew it was wrong. Um, fast what was that, like seven years old, you took a sip? Was it beer? Um, it was Smirnoff, actually. Smirnoff. We were Smirnoff. It was New Year's Eve, and we decided that drinking and stealing all the alcohol that the parents left out, the open half bottles Would of... Would be a good idea. Yes. <laughs> And that it was going to be fun. Everyone did it before me. And then I had a friend who always told me, he's like, here, chug this, chug this. So I'd go and I'd start chugging it. And I thought it was the coolest thing. At seven years old, do you remember what your reaction to the taste was? Because it was Smirnoff, didn't taste bad. Beer, never liked it. <laughs> no, still don't. <laughs> I remember I remember when um, my I, I snuck like a sip of beer from my parents. And I, I remember it. It was it was bad. Like I was like, this is disgusting. How do you people drink this crap? Oh yeah. Um, so you're seven years old, you got your first taste of booze, um, at, at age seven. Then what happens? So fast forward a little bit, we did, uh, end up drinking, you know, here and there at about, uh, 10 years old when I moved to Colorado, uh, a little shortly after all the weed around there, I started smoking weed at 11. That my first time was actually laced with like acid or LSD. I was, the walls were melting with rainbow colors. I seen a clown with really huge feet. That was my first experience with weed. It was not that fun. And then what happened? So then after that, um, I got some better weed and it, oh, that was a lot better. Um, moved back to California at 13 and there I really went downhill. I started taking a lot of pills. I took ecstasy pills, um, quite a few times that felt good. But Molly's when I first took that at 13, that was my thing. I was like, Oh, this is great. You were doing ecstasy at age 13. Yes. Were you hanging out like with your older brothers and sisters and their friends at that point? No, I had my own friends. Um, they, they did a lot of stuff. I'm from Bakersfield and out there it's very well known to do lots of drugs, especially at that age. And as sad as it is, it's, it's very high. Because people will, you know, people who are watching or are listening, I tell people I grew up in Laguna Beach and uh, at age 50, and I was at like Catholic school. Like my parents were like, no, you're going to go to Santa Margarita. You're going to go to the best schools. And I tell people, I'm like, no, at age 15, I found cocaine and we were doing lines of blow in Laguna Beach. And people ask me, how at age 15 did you even find cocaine? I'll ask you that same question at 13. How did you even find ecstasy? Um, I had a friend who at 15, he was a drug dealer, um, pushed a lot of pills and he knew where to get everything. And that's really where I got everything. Um, from there, I, after the Molly's come to find out they were pretty much meth pills. I knew I wanted to do meth and I knew that, you know, it was going to feel good. Um, by the time I was 
let me see, 14, I did meth for the first time. And my very first time doing that, I knew it was the best thing in the world. I wasn't going to find anything better. I, I, as people ask me, you know, how did I know I wanted to shoot up from the moment I did meth? How did I know I wanted to shoot up, shoot up? Um, I don't know if that comes from TV shows or what, but I knew I'm going to shoot this up and it's going to be the best thing in the world. So I was a crystal meth addict as well. I did crystal meth for six months. This, it was the final six months of my using. I, I held off to crystal meth until I was about age 28. Um, and I smoked it first and I never shot. Um, so did you smoke it the first time you did it? I did. First time I smoked it. And then you realized that you could slam. Yeah. And I have no experience with that, but from the people I've spoken to who have done it, they're like, it's next level. Yes. Like slamming is different than smoking it as far as even recovering from something like that. Right. And the needle itself becomes a drug. Um, It got to the point in my addiction where if I didn't have meth, I'd shoot up water because that's how much of an addiction the needle was to me. It it was bad. I'd shoot up some ADHD pills that you couldn't even shoot up. You wouldn't get high. I still would do it just because it was something and it was the action of actually doing it. You know, looking back, I can, you know, people ask me another question that I still get, you know, I'm going on a decade of sobriety and, and one of the questions I get is like, why? Like your parents, my parents never drank. I never even, I have never seen my parents drunk. Uh, they definitely didn't do drugs. Um, and people ask me like, how on earth, like how on earth did you of all people then turn to cocaine? And I needed to find that answer. I needed to find that out. Cause I didn't have an answer for that for so long. And what I realized through like intensive therapy was, no, I suffered a lot of trauma as a child. I was molested and I was molested repeatedly by my piano teacher and by my youth Mm -hmm. soccer coach. And my mom was very verbally and physically abusive to me. And it was those traumas that untreated that I just felt so gross in my own body that I built up this fortress. And the moment I found an escape to not feel reality, I was addicted to that escape. So, you know, I ask you, like, do you... Did you suffer like childhood traumas? Like, did you ever have a trauma that really made you want to escape? Not that I remember. So as far as I know from my childhood, it's a little bit seven drinking. Um, From that, I don't remember anything till about age 10. Every once in a while, people tell me stories, my brothers, whatever. um, Then I uh, can trigger a little bit of memory. But uh, as far as my memory goes, it is very blocked off and doing intensive therapy as well. They um, try to put me through EMDR. It never worked. Uh, One of my therapists had said you possibly have been exposed to that severe trauma that your brain has completely blocked out your childhood. So from that, I don't I don't know a whole lot from my childhood. I know I did have a really good life. I had, you know, my parents as well don't do drugs. They I mean, my mom can drink half a of cup of wine and put it down and be good my dad can have a beer at dinner and that's it uh yeah once i you know was so at 15 they did know i was an addict that's when i went to treatment for the first time um after that they could not have any alcohol in the house once i was around at all they could put it down they could you know say no what was it like going to treatment at age 15 it was because clearly, you're, how old How old are you now? I'm 22. You're 22 and you have two yeah. years sober. So there had to be a time period where you went into treatment at 15. Clearly, you didn't stay sober. Um, so what was that experience like? It was good. It was fun to me because there was other people there. We kind of, you know, being kids, literally little kids you're a in kid treatment. At yes. 
um, we, I went to school in treatment. They enroll you in the school in that, um, area. It was Saugus high school or yeah, Saugus high school. Um, it was fun though. You know, I did get to learn. We got brought to AA meetings and that was cool. Um, I got to learn a little bit, but at the same time we were all there. So immature and running around, having fun. It was a good experience to kind of get away, go up to the mountains and, be alone. And you know, I tell people this too, a majority of the people who watch this podcast and listen to it, many of them are like parents and they have a drug addicted child. And one of the messages that I get all the time from parents, they get so frustrated and they almost just want to give up because their child has been in and out of treatment facilities and in and out of rehabs. And I, I listen to stories like you and, and your story isn't unique in that there's other kids out there who've been to treatment centers at 15, 16, 17 years old, and they've been in and out. I had one girl on the podcast a week ago. She hit 17 different treatment facilities. She's 24 years old now. And what she told me is she's like, yeah, but you know what? I may not have gotten it the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, the seventh time. She goes, but Brandon... I always knew that there was a solution out there. Like that seed was planted in me and I may not have gotten it the first dozen times, but I knew when I was ready that I knew another life existed out there. Like I knew that there was hope. So it wasn't wasted time. It was just, she goes, I wasn't ready, but that seed was planted. Mm -hmm. Do you identify with that? I do. I, shockingly and surprisingly, bear with me, I have been to 52 treatment centers. 52? Two yes. treatment centers. Yes, it is. Um, again, yeah, I, I was learning a, a lot and I never gave up on myself and um, kind of a message for parents who want to give up on their child because it is very frustrating. I get it. It's very painful um, to see what I put my parents through after having clean time uh, to kind of step back and see. Um, my grandma told my mom, you need to give up on her. You need to forget about her. She's never going to change. Uh, give up on her. And my mom said, no, I will not give up on her. And, you know, at one point my mom would cry to God, like either take her out or get her clean. Cause I was, uh, 15 and the IV user. So um, you were just telling me that your grandmother was trying to convince your mom to give up on you. Yeah. And um, your mom said, no, no, she, she did not. She, um, she knew she always had, my mom told me she had a vision that she could always see it very clearly that one day she's going to be leaving a house that I bought with the man and my kids and saying goodbye and that I was like from a visitation that I was sober happy and she always visioned that and from there she you know that's what she held on to is that one vision that she always thought of like she saw this beautiful life that she'd always envisioned for her daughter you weren't living it yet but she had this vision that no my daughter's going to make it She's going to be sober. She's going to have a beautiful life and a beautiful home. Yes. Okay. So at what point did you finally get it? So I was in a treatment out in Palm Springs. Um, I was there for about 30 days and found out that I was pregnant by a client who was there. You know, it was a kind of one-time thing and ended up getting pregnant Um, I left the treatment about a month after that. I went up to my parents' house with all the pregnancy hormones and everything. I was very, went to my mom's and I was very depressed and being bipolar type one, you know, I don't get depressed very often. And when I do, it's very short. It's never too bad. My mania is what I have to keep, keep a lookout for. Um, so I went up there and I was, 
my son's father had come up for a soccer game of my son's and he was video chatting with some friends and there was, I happened to look over and it was them getting a shot ready of some heroin. And that triggered me very much, you know, being as depressed as I was trying to fight the urges as it already was and seeing somebody getting a shot ready really triggered me. Um, we ended up relapsing together. I went out. I was at that point about three, four months pregnant with my daughter. After being pregnant with my son and being completely sober um, and always sort of judging people who were getting loaded with, with the baby inside of them, I was like, how could you do that? You know, I, I did, couldn't comprehend because I had gotten sober the first time. It must be not that hard. Until I walked through it in my own shoes and I realized, wow, like this is how sick I am. I can't stop. I'm pregnant with a baby inside of me that, you know, it's it's an innocent baby. I'm, I'm getting loaded with me. And it, it broke me as a mother. Um, it was probably one of the most shameful things I had ever done. Um, you know, on top of already taking off on my son, giving him to family just so I can go get high. I was getting high for about a week give or take five, six days. Um, and I knew, man, this is it. Like I'm done. I'm over it. You know, I called one of my friends who, who helped me get into treatment. Um, flew, I had flown out to Indiana. So it flew back to California and entered detox. And, you know, right away, I just, I kind of knew like, you know, I need to be sober right now. I need to, do this for this baby at the most, you know, at this point, um, with my son being with family and having to move to his other grandma's house who doesn't work. My parents work full time, 10, 12 hours a day still. So it wasn't fair for them to have my son if he was able to stay at another grandma's that he's very close to, um, and stay at home. So I knew at this point, because they didn't have the same father, my baby was not going to be able to go over there. Wasn't going to be able to go to my mom's. Either CPS is taking this baby or I'm going to make it. Now, I went through detox. I did about two weeks of detox. I went to an RTC program, did three months there, and they were asking me, um, you know, you need to leave or find somewhere to go because, you know, you're getting more pregnant and we have stairs. You're too much of a liability. Um, at that point, I called another treatment center, which I do currently work at. And they took me right in. They kept me until I was 38 weeks pregnant. They took care of me. You know, they always took me out to lunch with them. They, you know, every need I needed, they met. You know, I'm very grateful for that. Um, And once I left there, I went to a year-long faith-based program where I did not want to (laughs) go. Not right away. I was not happy about it. I was like, man, it was a very indigent program. You don't have a phone for a whole year. You don't get to smoke cigarettes, vape, you don't, nothing. You know, they test you for nicotine. What was that like? It was rough. I and snuck in already, my phone. Had you already given birth? I gave birth a week after I had been there. So there you can have your baby um, bring. It is an amazing, amazing program. I was just very selfish and I wanted to keep my phone. I wanted yeah, to, because it know. was something that was going to actually be good for you. Right. You know, in a yep. very strict environment. And it's exactly mm-hmm. what you needed. It was, yes, exactly what I needed. At that point when I went in, I had about six months sober. Um, It was pretty easy sailing. My first six months, even my first year, when I had gone there, I had snuck my phone in because I was still kind of a rebel. 
uh, wanted to keep my phone and I called the the program that dropped me off there and I said, come pick me up. I am done with this place. They're not letting me have my phone or anything. Um, and they said, no, you need to stay there. That is what's best for you. While I was there, because it is a faith-based program, I've never had a problem believing in God, but there it really, um, taught me how to establish a strong relationship with God. And that is what's kept me sober. Thank you for saying that. I, I love that message because I was just having that conversation with somebody the other day and, and uh, I didn't have a relationship with God when I was out using and I, if anything, I was like the antichrist. Mm -hmm. And so I, over time, when I first got into the program, like I, I really struggled with the God concept, but now today, and I tell people this all the time, I can, do, you know, I, like I just told you, I went to Coachella a couple weeks ago or in April and you know, I, I tell people I can do anything that I want to do under this one condition. And it's not, am I going to meetings all the time? It's not anything. The one thing that is keeping me sober, the only thing that keeps me from doing meth again is my connection to my higher power. It is my connection to my higher power. If it is strong, I will not harm myself. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm in a good place and a good spiritual connection with, with God and my higher power, then if I have that good connection, I'm not going to harm my body. I'm not going to do anything bad to myself. So I always tell my sponsees, listen, your spiritual connection to your higher power is going to be the most important thing that's going to keep you sober down the road. Yes, definitely. By far, that is definitely what got me sober. It's going to keep me sober. You know, not, yeah, like you said, not meetings every day. It's that relationship with your higher power, with God, and how you're going to rely on your higher power, because we're all still going to have struggles. We're all still going to go through life and have our ups and downs in life, relationships, kids, finances, you know, it's really depends on what you're going to do with while, when you're in that struggle, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to rely on self or are you going to rely on higher power? Or God, right? So you have two years sober now. Um, and how are your kids doing? They're doing good. My daughter has never had to see me loaded, drunk, high, nothing. My son, um, getting him back, I got him back when my daughter was a month old. So about, it was like two years, right at about two years ago, possibly. Um, he was very angry, you know, and that's something I tell my clients as well, who are parents is like, you know, don't expect when you get your kids back, like they're going to be okay right away. You know, they're going to be happy you're back around, but my son was like, okay, well, when are you going to leave again, mom? You know, he was old enough to know. He was uh, three years old when I got him back. No, four years old. You know, and it's like still at that young age when people tell you, oh, they're not going to remember. They, you have to prepare yourself that they might. But sticking around, being a mother, you know, building that trust back and showing them like, I'm sorry for my mistakes, but I'm getting better and I'm doing the best I can eventually forgiveness sets in and you know now he's he's the sweetest little boy he's a little crazy but he is so sweet you know and he loves me and and he tells me that all the time and he, and he'll he'll still bring it up mom do you remember that time you were in jail i'm like yeah what about it <laughs> you know i but i don't want to talk about it but you know what but maybe maybe that's just that little reminder on that mm -hmm. day of your son saying remember jail and that you you don't want to talk about it because it's not the most pleasurable experience of your life but maybe that's just a message from your higher power saying like 
hey, remember me? You have a responsibility. Like I'm yep. your son. And maybe yeah. that's just a little reminder of taking you back to where you were. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and today I get to be there for my son whose father is, you know, getting loaded. He's not not around and he's honestly never really been around. You know, he pops in and out once in a while and it hurts him. But I get to be there to explain why. I get to explain, you know, at a six-year-old level, you know, kind of what's going on in that. You remember mommy was sick and your dad is sick and, you know, he needs to get better and... It's very sad, but, you know, at least I can be here for him still. Where do you see, um, because you're still so young. You know, I got sober at 28, and I used to tell people, man, I got got sober young. But I'm, like, (laughs) interviewing now, like, meeting, you know, these young women, especially, that are sober at 22 and 23 with, like, this crazy story already in their lives. When you look at your future, what do you see? Oh, man, I see more kids. Definitely. I want about five kids, me and my boyfriend. Um, I see us owning a house, being married, my kids growing up and being being very well behaved, you know, and I pray they don't ever have to go through what I went through. Um, I see, so I'm in college now to get my KDAC, so I definitely see me That's doing... amazing. Congratulations, by the way. And for Thank people you. who don't know what KDAC is, essentially it's going to be a, a drug abuse counselor and, yes. and to help other people out there. Yes, it's definitely what I love to do. I work in treatment now, so I get that hands-on experience. I can't wait to finally finish and get clients and be able to really help them. Um, I see, you know, that's really all I see for now, my life is already amazing and more than I would have ever thought two years ago, even at six months sober. Hey, in two years from now, you're going to have all this stuff. It is literally mind blowing. It is mind blowing. And I tell people all the time, it does not take long Mm -mm. for the miracles to show up. Yeah. It just doesn't, you know, but you just have to take that first step and be willing to surrender. Mm -hmm. And the moment we fully surrender and we, do what's asked of us. The miracles just come, you know? And I tell my sponsees too, we cause a lot of wreckage. We cause a lot of wreckage in people's lives. But the most important thing right now is to saving your own life. And I tell people, so as long as you just focus on you, take care of you, and believe it or not, people around you will start to love you again. Yes. So as long as you like, don't worry about trying to repair every freaking relationship at the beginning, right? Because like sometimes I get these these newly sober addicts, and they're like, "I need to go make amends to this person." Like mm-hmm. I was terrible to my mom. I was terrible to them. And I was like, "No, no, no. Just get you better. By getting you better, that's all they want." Yep. You know, that's, that's all they true. want is to see you doing better, not to just fill them with words, being like, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What I did." Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it got to the point where my mom, I'd call her, mom, I'm in treatment, you know, hoping she'd be like, oh, that's so great. She's like, okay, well, when are you going to leave again? You know, because that was the pattern. She was so hurt and yeah. it was, I'm glad that's over. Yeah. Our relationship is today, it's amazing. You know, we don't live together anymore, which is what's best for me. You know, then that's good to recognize when I live with my mom, 
I'm a complete child. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been good. And mom's probably, mom's probably happy that, you know, that you can go out there and, and support yourself now and, yeah. and be independent rather than codependent. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's important, too. Um, listen, we're, we're about to wrap up. Your story is so powerful. I could sit here and talk to you for hours, right? It's incredible. Um, I'm happy you're sober, and I'm happy that your kids, who I was able to meet, I seem to be doing just amazing and fine and healthy. Yes. Um, what's the last piece of advice that you would give to a young, a young girl out there, a young woman who is struggling to find her way? I would tell her that, you know, there is hope, you know, being a very young addict myself. And I felt it's the struggle to me was I'm so young, but I'm so done. What's going to happen when I get time clean and then I ruin it all because that's what I'm known for. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, If as long as you, you, know, you stick to your program and you rely on your higher power, like you said, everything falls into place in a very, very short time. And once things start falling into place, that's where you're going to start feeling more hope. Okay. And then I know I said, lastly, now I have one more thing. What's your <laughs> message to, cause you're, you, you have a really powerful stance on this, at least from your own life experience. What do you say to the parent who's watching or listening right now, who is dealing with a child that continues to relapse and they don't know what to do? Pray for him. First and foremost, you need to pray for him. Um, never give up on them. That doesn't mean to enable them, but it means to give them the tough love by letting them know that you love them unconditionally and that you will be there for them once you know they get sober. But I think you're just like a living example of it takes different people different amount of times to get the message. Yeah. You know, some people get it on day one. I've never relapsed. It's never been part of my story. Um, but we all get it at different times in our life right. and your parents never gave up on you and you're alive and you're healthy and you're sober. Yes. So let's see. I think, um, advice I would give to a parent struggling with an addicted child is to not give up on them and to, to hold on to that hope, hold on to a vision. Even if you come up with a vision today and you, you see your child happily married with children, whatever the situation may be, Keep that vision, hold on to it, and just pray for him. I got to give you a hug. Thank Your story you. is amazing. I am. I, we just met, and I'm super proud of you. Thank you. I think it's awesome. You're on the right. You, you clearly are on the right track, and you're out there getting your KDAC license. And I love that because you're going to go out there and really. I have a feeling about you. You're going to have a major impact on so many young women out there uh, who are battling with this disease. Um, as always, I want to thank everybody who's tuning in to Escaping Rock Bottom on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and also on my website, escapingrockbottom.com. Uh, share this on your social media, and we'll see you back here next week.